following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Let's uh, turn to uh, Luke 20, or you can follow along on the screen as I read um, Luke 20, starting in verse 9. And he, that is Jesus, began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to the tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let's kill him so the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. Um, in this parable, uh, it's, it's in, in, the, in the greater context, it's a picture of the ongoing conflict and tension between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. And uh, we don't know what day of the Passion Week, but it's somewhere between the Sunday of his, trial, um, his triumphal entry and the day of his arrest and, and trial and, and crucifixion. And in that time period, Jesus has been in the temple daily teaching. But the the tension and the conflict, the fight between Jesus and the Jewish uh, leaders is escalating. And Jesus is not trying to smooth things over. This is not a peacemaking parable. It says he tells this parable to the people, but it's about the Jewish leaders. And it is very inflaming. In fact, they are so furious at the end of this, they want to arrest him and kill him right then. But they can't because they fear the crowds. Um, so, so what is this parable and why does it make them so angry? Well, uh, as we read, it, it's, a, it's a story of, of, a, of a landowner who plants this, this vineyard, right? Um, and what's interesting is uh, he, he does this so that he can rent it out to tenant farmers. Now, if, if I was going to do this, if I had land and I wanted to rent it out to somebody, what I would do is I would find somebody who wanted to 
work really hard and clear the land and prepare the land and plant the trees and build the wall and do all the work that's required to turn it into a vineyard. And then I would expect from them uh, the, the payment of rent and in, in, in profits from the harvest. But that's not what this landowner does. This landowner actually goes to all the work himself of building the vineyard, which is pretty amazing. He, he plants it, he cultivates it, he tills the ground, he clears it, he builds walls around it. The other Gospels talks about the, the, the press that he builds. He goes to great work and labor on his own to make it um, fit for, uh, for, for walking into and just, just harvesting the, the, the crop, right? And if you're going to rent a place, this is the place to look for, right? Uh, so if we could put it in kind of more modern terms, imagine somebody uh, starting you know, a small business and, and they're very successful with that business. So maybe it's a Starbucks, you know, and they find a building and they go to great work to paint it and fix it and buy signs and put in all the foofy couches. You know, you've got to have those in a Starbucks. And they decorate it cool and they get the expensive you know, espresso machines and they train all the staff and they advertise and it becomes hugely successful. And when it starts turning over a profit, then they say, okay, now I want to rent it out to some, some, some very people I like, right? And I'm going to bless them with this successful business. Right? Sound pretty good? Or somebody would do that for me. I like this plan, right? It's like you don't have to do all the work. You just get to make all the money, right? Good deal. And that's, that's what this, this landowner does. He says, I, you know, I've done most of the work. All you have to do is show up and make money, right? And all I ask for is a, a portion of the, the profits. So he, he finds some renters, some, some tenant farmers, and of course they're excited for this opportunity, and he takes a long trip, a very long trip to a far country, a very long trip to a very far country, and he's gone for a very long time. <coughs> um, when it comes time uh, for harvest, he sends servants back to the vineyard to collect his, his share of the profit. Uh, so what is this vineyard and who is the vine landowner? Who are the tenants? Well, clearly the, the landowner is God, right? Uh, the, the vineyard is um, not Israel. And in the Old Testament, Isaiah, uh, Israel is often called uh, a vineyard. And so sometimes we, we mistake that Jesus here is identifying Israel as the vineyard. But that's probably not the case here. The vineyard is really the place of God's blessing. It's uh, being in a relationship with God where you are favored, right? Where you're the favored, blessed ones, the recipients of God's promises. Uh, uh, and then there's the tenants. Well, who are the tenants? Well, the tenants would be Israel, or more specifically in the context of this parable, really the Jewish, the Jewish leaders. You know, he's really targeting here and focusing on the, 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 the rulers of Israel, the, the leaders. But in general, it also... Uh, eventually represents Israel as a whole who are uh, living in the, the blessing. Right? They're the favored people of God living in the vineyard of his blessing, of his favor. And of course he's gone for a long time. So the scope of this story really began when, when God called Abraham and, and, and Moses and the Israelites later um, when he brought them out of Egypt, planted them in the land of Israel, uh, in the land of Judah. And so for many hundreds of years, the history of Israel unfolds as tenants in God's vineyard. And so, like I said, it's a very long trip. God's gone for a very long time. But he sends many, many servants, many messengers. And that would be represented by 
the prophets and servants, the messengers of the Old Testament, who went often to Israel, right, proclaiming and calling people to give to God what, what he is due, what, he is, what they owe him. Um, so what exactly is the harvest? What is it that God wants from them? Well, God is looking for these favored people, this blessed people, to, to freely give him their love and devotion. Uh, and I use the word freely. Right? He wants people to willingly of their own heart's desire to worship him, to serve him joyfully. Right? That's what God's looking for. To offer up gifts and sacrifices, sure, but to do it joyfully and willingly as a, as a gift of worship to God. And so uh, that's what the prophets declared over and over. You know, turn away from the idols that you are following and worship God alone. Uh, you're to be devoted and focused to God above everything else. Serve Him, obey Him, love Him, follow Him. Okay, that was what they called Israel to. Repent from your idolatry and turn to Him. Uh, but alas, uh, as as the landowner sent the, the, the servants to collect the, the fruit, what happens to them? Well, the tenants beat them up. Uh, they treat them shamefully. Uh, they, they send them away over and over again empty-handed. Right? They refuse to give to the landowner what he is due. They refuse. They, re- they reject him. They reject his servants and they beat them up. And, and indeed, that's what happened to the prophets over and over again. Uh, in the Old Testament, nobody said, you know, no first grader said, when I grow up, I want to be a prophet. Because <laughs> those guys just got beat up and killed and shamed, and it was a tough job, right? And that's the way it was throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus says, this is how it's been with Israel. I have done everything to, to bless and favor them, and all I ask in return is their loyal love and devotion. What I want from them is their, their worship and their joyful obedience. And I, I have not got it. Right? They have been fruitless. They have sent my servants away empty-handed over and over. And I love what, what, uh, what Jesus says then. I love the, the words he puts in the, the landowner's the, um, mouth. He says in verse 13, Then the landowner, uh, the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? What shall I do? Well, I'm telling you what I would do, right? Okay, after sending all these guys and getting nothing back but my guys beat up and mistreated, what should you do? Well, you call the police, right? You round up a, a mob squad, you go, you, you deal with these guys, right? You, 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 you press charges against them. You take them to court. You have them arrested. You evict them from the property, right? And you throw them in jail until they pay up everything that they owe. That's what you do, right? Any of you own a house that, you know, uh, before you came here, instead of selling it, you rented it, and you'd like to have regretted it 10 million times since, right? Because, cause, you know, it's, it's your house. You love this house. You took care of this house. You have just made it your palace, right? And you rent it to some bonehead who just trashes the place, right? And uh, they destroy it, and... And you, you, you got to take them to court, and you got to you know evict them from the house, and you're you know you're trying to sue them for the damages, right? I know people have gone through this. Um, that's what you do, right? 
But this landowner is perplexed. What should I do? Why is he in such a dilemma? And why is it so difficult for him to do what seems obvious, like like what we would do? Well, the reason is this, because this landowner, it's not just a business for him. What he longs for, what he wants to get out of this is is a loving relationship with a favored people. That's what he wants. The fruit he's looking for is their love, their worship, and their devotion. And and here's the problem. You know, when you throw people in jail, you're probably not going to get a lot of love, worship, and devotion. Right? That's not going to accomplish his goal. So he's he's in a, a bit of a dilemma. If I do what, what justice would require, I've really lost everything because then they will never worship me. They will never give me the free love and devotion, right? I, I could force my hand. I could, I could come upon them with, with my army or with my, my, the police, but I'm not going to get the response I want. So what shall I do? How can I win them over? How can I make this work? God is so patient, right? He is so patient. So what does he do? The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I know what I will do. I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. Um, Amazing, right? Amazing the love and persistence and patience of God. Now, to me, this is just the dumbest move ever, right? Um... These guys have treated his servants so badly. Why would you send your most dearly loved and precious son? That's exactly what God does. Right? Of course, God knows he's not foolish. He, he knows what will happen. He knows where this will end. Um, and and it, it highlights a unique uh, truth about Jesus, that Jesus was not just another prophet. Right? He's not in the same class of the messengers who came to collect rent. He comes as the dearly loved only son of God, um, specially chosen to come and represent God himself as, as his ambassador, as, as God in, in person, um, and that the weight of his being as, as God's son would be one that would, would command respect. Right? That in sending his son, it would be uh, it would be bridging the gap that he surely would uh, would be respected and received by them. And of course, when when Jesus identifies himself as a son, it doesn't mean that he was born from God, but it means that he is in uh, that kind of relationship with God as Father. It is a father-son relationship where God, where Jesus, is the dear and precious loved one of his Father, right? and that's who. God sends. Uh, and, and so God sends his son, and, and it really is God's final plan. It, it is God's last-ditch effort to break through and win them. Uh, and by doing that, uh, God really raises the stakes of the game. Um, because here's the deal. You know, it's one thing when, he's, when they've mistreated the servants, but now that he's sending his son... What is at stake? Well, everything is at stake, right? Everything is at stake because if they mistreat the son, then what is left? 
What is left to do then, right? So in doing this, Jesus, uh, God raises the stakes to, to a very serious level. It is his final plan. If this does not work, there's not a plan B, C, D, Q, X, Y, Z, right? There, this is it. Right? This is all that's left. It is in a sense, and I don't like this illustration. It's not 100% perfect, but it's the best I could do. Right? It's, it's kind of a throwing down the gauntlet. Okay? Throwing down the gauntlet. Anybody familiar with that? I had to look it up. Praise God for Wikipedia. Um, so what it means to throw down the gauntlet was this. Back in the, in the medieval times when there were knights and chivalry and kings and all that kind of stuff and cool horses and armor, um, when, when, a king, when a new king was appointed or anointed to a thr- uh, the throne, uh, if there were challenges to his, his title, challenges that people say, well, we don't think he should be king, uh, the king would have a champion who would, who would kind of be his, his, his ambassador, his representative, who would stand up for him. Right? And if you're going to be a king, it's good to have lots of champions, and you want big dudes, right? You want big dudes who are mean-looking and who can wear the armor and can, like, pulverize people, right? So you have your champion, and the way this works is somebody challenges the, the, the right of the king to rule, and so the champion, the big knight, steps up. He says, okay, let's, let's talk this through. Right? And they'll, they'll talk for a while. They'll negotiate. But there comes a point when there's no more negotiation. There's no more talking. At that point, the, the, the knight, the champion, will take off his, his glove. And this is not just a little leather glove. This is like a knight's glove. You know, it's metal. It's got spikes. It, like, kills things. Stained with blood, you know. This glove, right? Pulls it off his hand, and he throws it down on the ground. Okay, that's his gauntlet. He throws down the gauntlet. And, and in essence, what he's doing is he's challenging that other knight to a duel. And he says, look, this is the deal. Either you submit and accept this one as the king or we fight to the death. Right? It's an all or nothing deal. And when the, when the champion throws down the gauntlet, okay, he, he's, he, he's basically saying, this is it. I'm willing to die for this king. If you're not going to accept him as king, you're going to have to go through me, right? And we're going to duel it out, and one of us is going to die. Now, this is kind of off track a little bit, but I really think modern politics could benefit well from this system. I was thinking, you know, in Congress, there's all this debate stuff. You know, you debate it for a while, but then some senator stands up and he throws down the gauntlet. He says, okay, let's fight to the death, right? I'm thinking this would just make things much more efficient, right? Because you wouldn't be proposing laws that you're not willing to die for, right? I just think, I, 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 I want to suggest that. You could do it in church, too. I don't know, maybe, you know, church board meeting. The guy stands up, throws down the gauntlet to the death, right? It's purple carpet or we die, right? I think it would change the whole nature of things. Um, well, in, in essence, that's what God is doing here, right? He's throwing down the gauntlet. He's saying... I'm not giving other options. You will submit to my champion, my dearly loved son. You will submit to him or there will be a duel to the death. Right? There's no other way. Uh, he is forcing the choice. He's forcing the choice. Um, well, how does it go? Well, verse 14, but when the tenants saw the son coming, they said to themselves, hey, this is the heir. This is the only son. This is the heir to the land we are on. Let's kill him 
Then the inheritance might be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now what's incredibly ironic in this story is God throws down the, the gauntlet. He sends his son and they reject him. And there is a duel, but who loses? Crazy. The son loses, right? The tenants win. They defeat the son and they kill him. And of course, Jesus here is depicting exactly what he knows what will happen. He is portraying exactly what the rulers are about to do to him. He knows they are trying to kill him. He knows that they have rejected God's offer, that they've rejected the son. And he knows that in this duel, he is going to lose. He is going to lose. Um, but it is a foolish plan on the part of the tenants, right? And, 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 and uh, sometimes this kind of goes past us, but think about the logic here, okay? Um, so, you know, this landowner owns this land, and when he dies, he's going to give it to his heir. He's going to pick somebody to pass on this land to. And the first choice, of course, would be the son. Right? So, but if we kill the son, then he'll go, oh, well, my son died. Let me give it to the wicked tenants who have cheated me these, all these years. They would be my next logical choice, right? Wrong, right? How stupid could they be, right? Foolish, right? It's the last people that the, that the landowner would pick. He's not going to give them the land. He's going to deal with them. He will bring judgment on them. And that's exactly what God says will happen. He says uh, that land owner will come and he will destroy them. He will destroy them. And in this, Jesus is making very clear, very clear, that in their rejecting of the Son, they put themselves out of the vineyard. God will come and he will judge Israel and he will destroy Jerusalem. He will destroy the temple. He will destroy the temple. He will level it to the ground. And what's most significant and most important of all is that Israel as a nation will no longer be in the vineyard. They will no longer be God's special favored people. But that doesn't mean that Jewish people individually won't be saved. Many are. And, you know, the 12 disciples to start with a few, <laughs> the 3,000 at Pentecost. I mean, God saved Jewish people. Praise God for that. But as a nation, they were being evicted from the garden, right? Because of what they did to the son, God was done with them, right? Now, he's not done with them forever, right? And, and other places, Scripture tells us that God will once again at the end time turn back to Israel. And I don't know what all that will look like. But for Jesus' day and for, for this era, Israel is out, right? They are no longer welcome in the vineyard as a nation, they are no longer the people through whom God's plan will be unfolded. In the Old Testament people came to God through Israel. Now Israel must come to God through the Gentiles. And he says that I'm going to rent my vineyard to other tenants, uh, to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. I will welcome them in and they will be uh, the new tenants who will be in my salvation plan. 
And the crowd understands what Jesus is saying here. And where a lot of times they miss the point of his parable, they got this one and they cried out, may it never be, God forbid, that that would be what happens. But it is exactly what happened as, as they rejected Christ. And Jesus responds by, by quoting scripture. He goes to the Old Testament. And I, I believe with great compassion, he says, it says, as they, they said, may it never be. And it says he looked directly at them. It says he, he turned his eye on them. Right? He looked at them. I mean, he looked them in the eye. And with compassion, he said to them, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Um, it was the amazing plan of God that Jesus would be rejected, right? And, and God's plan was not unraveled because the Jews rejected him. In fact, it was God's plan. God said, I'm going to take the rejection of Christ. I'm going to take his, uh, his beating, his shame, and ultimately his death on the cross. And I am going to build my kingdom on that, right? That's what it means to make him the, the cornerstone. The cornerstone was a, a, the most important foundation stone in, a, in an old building in, in that time period where any two walls or intersections of walls came together. Uh, and it was considered to be the, the foundation piece that really held up the whole building. If you pulled that out, the whole thing would come down and collapse. And the picture here is that Jesus, though rejected by the Jews, <coughs> Um, put on the cross, dying, that through that, that would become the foundation stone that God builds his kingdom, that God does all his saving work. Um, so, so it comes to this, whether Jew, Gentile, no matter who you are, it all comes down to what you do with the rock. How do you relate to the rock who is Jesus Christ? Um, we have two options, right? We, we reject him like the Jews did, or we build our life upon his saving work. Um, there's an old proverb. Well, let me, let me read the verse first. It says, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Okay? So, so how you deal with that stone is everything. Uh, you can receive it. You can receive Jesus. You can receive God. You can be his child. You can be built on that stone as a foundation. Or you can reject it. You can stumble over it, and it will crush you. Uh, the Jews had a proverb that went like this. If a stone falls on a pot, woe to the pot. Okay, right? Think a big stone. big stone falls on a pot, woe to the pot. If a pot falls on a stone, woe to the pot, right? Either way, woe to the pot, right? And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. If you not deal in surrender and submission to God, if you not receive Jesus, the options are, are one. You'll be crushed. You'll be shattered. You'll be destroyed. You will be judged. Um. The world we live in today uh, has a lot of issues with the church and with Christianity. Some of it's our own fault because we are kind of 
jerk sometimes in the way we live out our Christian faith. But sometimes they have a problem with Christianity because um, we have to teach things they just don't like. And one of, the, one of the things that is hard for people to accept is the exclusivity of the gospel. Right, big word. Just simply means this. We teach that there's only one road to heaven. Okay, all roads do not lead, all religions, all paths do not really lead to God. Right? We, we teach it the message that Jesus is the only way. You cannot come to the Father except through him. Um, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. But the world says, well, that's because God, if God's like that, he's, you know, he must be just intolerant, right? He must be just hard and unloving if he, you know, won't accept the, the diligent, devout efforts of religions of all, all these religious people who are so devout and trying so hard, right? Um, and certainly, honestly, there are many religious people in the world from whatever religions, who are quite devout. Honestly, sometimes far more devout than the average Christian, right? Who are more dedicated to the practices of their faith. But but the issue is not that God does not want them. He wants them, right? God longs. He's opened up his vineyard. He's invited all the nations to come into his vineyard. He welcomes them all, right? God is not rejecting anyone. That's not the problem. The problem, Jesus says, is this. It says, it says we've rejected him. Right? The issue is not that God's rejected anybody. God welcomes anybody. But he welcomes them only through Jesus. Right? And the problem is that people around the world have rejected the Son. Right? They've rejected Jesus the Christ. <coughs> uh, the, the picture on here is actually... Uh, one corner of the western wall in in, uh, in Jerusalem, the remaining wall after the Romans destroyed it. This is all that was left, uh, and we were there a few years ago. Um, and uh, there's a section here you know, where they pray, not not here, but just down the wall away, where the Jews come and pray. And I'm telling you, these people come and pray with incredible passion and devotion and and labor, right? And they put funny things on their arms or on their heads and wear robes and have these prayer books and they shake and wail and pray and pray hours and hours and hours. People would say, well, doesn't that count for something? Well, not if you reject the Son. Right? It's God's only plan. Right? He sent His Son. If you reject Him, He becomes the rock that crushes you. Right? You will face judgment and God will destroy you. Jesus is the only way. So, so what can we do with this? Well, first of all, make sure that we are building our life on him and him alone, right? That, that we, are, we are built on the, on the cornerstone and not being crushed by it. Secondly, uh, it highlights the importance of preaching the gospel, right? Um, and people will say, what about all those people who have never heard? God is just and he's fair and he never judges people on what they do not know. Right? God will judge them on the knowledge they have. But God's plan and God's heart is that all men would know. Right? Uh, God sends us out, and, and many, many of you are here for that single reason, to bring Christ to the nations. Right? Man, keep it up. Right? Keep it up. God's heart and God's desire is that every 
people group, every place, every village, every person would have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. Right? Uh, keep fighting that fight. Right? Um, we want to. We want to be the people in the generation who can set up and say, "In my day, we proclaim Christ to the nations. We put Him before them so they could choose." Right? We 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 made it clear what God has done to make the way of salvation for them. Second thing I think that's important to remember is that as we do that, as we go out and we preach the gospel, as we stand up as light and salt before the world, um, they're not all going to accept it. Right? Many will reject the message. Never feel like you failed because in your preaching, nobody received the message. Okay, that's not what God called you to. He called you simply to be uh, the proclaimer, the messenger. Okay, it's up to them and God what they do with it. Um, we, we shouldn't measure success by converts or conversions or how many receive the message. That's not, that's not our business, right? Our business is simply to proclaim the word, to be salt and light, to live it out, to show people what, what Christ is. And you're here uh, in a dark place, living out Jesus, right? Everywhere you go, and I say this often, but it's so true. Most of you people are not going to confuse as a tourist, okay? You're far too geeky for that, right? It's just the truth, you know? Nobody nobody looks at me with my little button shirt, my little nice haircut, and goes, oh, you must be a tourist. You're you're one of those backpacker dudes, right? Nobody's ever accused me of that, Type people come to you all the time. Oh, I, you're, you're a missionary, aren't you? You're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. We're not hiding anything. Okay. It's obvious. And I hope it's not. All, it's obvious not only in the way we dress, but it's obvious in the way we conduct our life. It's the obvious the way we live. We are putting Christ before them, just by being here, and and, and the way we drive, and the way we handle ourselves when people cut in front of us at Lotus, and all those fun things that just make us not so patient. We're living out Christ. We're putting before them Jesus. And and as you have opportunities to explain who Jesus is, to proclaim the gospel, to put into words uh, why God sent his son, we're putting before them the choice, just as God did in this parable. He sent his son to demand a choice. He sends us in the name of the son to put before people a choice. A choice. God wants them in, in, in his vineyard. God, God's calling people to join in as his favored people. Right? He will never reject somebody who turns to him. Right? But he will crush those who reject him. Right? God will judge them. Right? Uh, and Jesus warned, warned Israel over and over. Right? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much that you are indeed an incredibly gracious and patient God. Lord, just this picture of you looking at Israel and who had beat up and hurt and wounded so many of your messengers and, and you would have the audacity to say, what, what shall I do? What can I do to reach them? Lord, to just know that you... You love the world so much that you sent your only son 
your dearly loved son to be salvation for us, knowing that he would be the stone the builders rejected. But through that, you have made him the very centerpiece of your salvation, the foundation stone of your whole kingdom, upon which everything stands. Lord, as we sing, may Jesus be the center of our life, of our ministry, of our work, of all that we do. May we make Jesus the true true cornerstone of our life, we pray in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.